to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you all today. We are going to read a story in just a second from Mark's gospel about the call of Simon and Andrew and James and John. But I want to remind you as we begin that anytime we hear a call story, it is not a story about someone else. It is also a story directed at us. So as you listen to this story, be thinking, uh, why am I here this morning? Who has called me? For what reason? Why am I listening to this guy talk about Jesus when I could be doing something else? I could be almost anywhere else this morning doing something I love, maybe even even fishing. So with that mindset, we're going to start. But you need to know a little bit of background information before we get into the story. Uh, two weeks ago, we read Mark's gospel, uh, the beginning of Mark's gospel, and we know that it focuses not on Jesus at the beginning, but on John the baptizer, on wild John. John is standing in the River Jordan, and he is calling people from the city and from the country to come. And out of some disease or anxiety, people are coming to John, and he is plunging them under the water and promising when they come up, they will have their lives changed. Jesus is one of those people who comes to John. And uh, and Jesus, when he goes under the water, comes out. And the second that he does, the heavens are torn open and the heavens pour through. And the Spirit of God comes and a voice says, You are my beloved child and you I am well pleased. So Mark says that the Spirit, the same Spirit, that appeared at his baptism, drives Jesus from the river into the wilderness where for 40 days he is tempted by Satan. Mark leaves a lot to the imagination. We'll talk about that story in a couple weeks at the beginning of Lent. But know that after those 40 days are done, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins his ministry. And that is where we pick up with these words from Mark's gospel. It is the first chapter of Mark, beginning in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And Jesus went a little further, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And they followed him. That is the gospel for you this morning. As the word of God for you, the people of God, we say thanks be to God. So uh, what kind of story is this? Is this a lovely little call story or is this kind of a weird and beguiling call story? Well, 
the first thing that we hear, the first thing that this story says is that John got arrested. Literally, the expression is John was handed over. For any of you who have been hanging around the Gospels for a little part of your life, that expression handed over should ring a few bells. John was threatening enough to the authorities that they arrested him and they executed him. And John, we know, had said that someone is coming after me who is even more powerful than I am. So you should see and feel a shadow hanging over everything in this gospel story, including the call of these disciples. Here comes Jesus proclaiming the empire of God is at hand. An alternative empire is here. And you know the authorities are listening and they are watching. So, where does Jesus go? He goes to the Sea of Galilee, which is a lovely place to begin your ministry. Why does he go there? Well, uh, what's happening on the Sea of Galilee? Well, it's a beautiful lake. It's the biggest uh, inland body of water in the entire region. The Jordan runs in from the top and comes out the bottom. And it was a busy place in Jesus's time for two primary reasons. The first reason is that the uh, the governor of the region, the Roman-appointed governor, Herod Antipas, had just built a brand new city on the Sea of Galilee, and he called it Tiberias. It was a, a city uh, built to honor his boss, the Roman emperor, Tiberius. A ton of infrastructure was built around the Sea of Galilee, around this city, including a building up of the infrastructure of the fishing industry on the Sea of Galilee. Yes, uh, the Sea of Galilee was the site of an industrial fishing operation. You probably heard or thought in your childhood when you heard these stories that it was about a bunch of, uh, a b- a bunch of uh, guys just out in their boats catching some fish, some subsistence fishermen. No, uh, the image that you need to have is of a industrialized fishing operation. The Romans were doing serious fish business on this lake. In order to fish on the lake at all, you probably had to pay the Romans a hefty fee. Only certain families could afford that fee, and and they would then gain exclusive rights to fish on the Sea of Galilee. The Romans created factories all up and down the lakeshore to salt fish and to process this stuff called garum, fish sauce, that they exported as a delicacy all across the Roman Empire. Now, I know you didn't show up today for a, a conversation about Roman fishing factories, but you need to know that Simon and Andrew and James and John were part of an industrialized and an exploitative fishing industry. You can assume that they were out there in their boats every day, day after day, being squeezed to produce more and more fish to keep up their already slim profit margins. If they can't keep up or if they give up, they will lose their exclusive fishing rights and one of their neighbors will come and take it. One of their neighbors who got squeezed out and is starving is going to come and take their place and step in. Why do I tell you this? Do I mean to say that Jesus's first disciples followed him not out of some sense of um, of uh, a, a spiritual pursuit, but maybe out of economic necessity? Maybe uh, because the good news of God then and now is about economic freedom? I mean, do I mean to say that the good news of God is a, a message about escaping a world of wage slavery and exploitation and entering into a world in which the riches of God's good creation are shared among all people? Do I mean to say that? Well, yes, I do. I do absolutely 
uh, mean to say that. Jesus recruits the fishermen of Galilee. He goes to that place to speak to those men for the same reason that Martin King went to Memphis to talk to sanitation workers who were striking for wages and benefits. It's the same reason that Christians today feel called to participate in the $15 living wage movement or the universal health care movement. When people are living in a system that exploits and dehumanizes us, we need to know that God loves us and cares for us. God sees and knows our struggle, and God insists that we deserve to live a life of dignity. That is part of God's good news for our world. For Simon and Andrew and James and John, uh, they were ready for a change. Sometimes God puts us in places where we are ready for the kind of change that discipleship brings. Maybe we have been investing ourselves in some kind of system that is not investing in us. Maybe we feel like we've been objects in someone else's game. We are ready to be subjects in God's realm of justice and joy. That call from God to be a person, to have dignity, to know our self-worth is always part of God's call. So these men that Jesus came to call, these men that Jesus came to call who responded to his call were ready to follow when Jesus came to see them. But just because they were ready doesn't also mean that putting down their nets didn't come with a great loss. Every change, every change that we experience in life brings with it loss. Being ready for those changes doesn't mean that you don't also feel the losses. A few of you, when you were listening to this story this morning, probably felt a pang of maybe sadness when you heard the phrase, they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Even as James and John walk toward Jesus, even as they receive their call, even as they go toward the good news, Mark makes a point of turning all of our heads to look back at the one whom they are leaving, their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is not how things are supposed to be, right? Children are supposed to honor their fathers and their mothers. That is a sacred obligation for everyone. Fathers work to leave uh, something behind for their children to inherit. Mothers struggle to, to, to make a space where their children will struggle less. Zebedee trusts that when, uh, when the, his body breaks finally, when fishing finally breaks his body, he trusts that his children will be there to care for him and carry on the family business. Something in us should feel the gravity of this loss as we watch these sons walk away from their father after some itinerant teacher. And these men, lose, them, these men lose something as well when they go to follow Jesus. They lose a part of themselves for sure. Simon and Andrew and James and John are fishermen. They're, they're, they, they, they're fishermen and they know what to do. That is how they have lived for years. They know how to navigate the water. They know how to look up at the sky and read the weather patterns. They know how and where to cast their nets and pull them in, balancing their weight in those boats, their bodies, uh, their hands and their backs and their arms and their skin and their souls are shaped by the work of fishing. That is their life. It is who they are. And when they walk away from those nets, they lose part of themselves, for sure. Loss. I hope you can feel the losses 
in these call stories. Losing family, losing your home, losing your work and your identity is possibly part of your call. And for what? Right? What do they give it all up for? At the moment these men choose to follow Jesus, they know nothing about him, right? He hasn't taught anything. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't, he hasn't made a single miracle happen yet. They leave to follow this man who is spouting this seditious anti-imperial rhetoric who says, uh, we're all going to share our food and our money, although it's unclear at this point how fishing for people will pay any of their bills. And yet they go. They go and follow Jesus mysteriously. They go and follow, just like the thousands and thousands of people who were drawn to the Jordan River for John's promise of a life change at baptism, these men mysteriously leave their lives, imperfect lives, but they leave everything to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus offer, really? What is he offering to them? As Jesus begins his ministry, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. There are four promises there that Jesus makes. Promise number one, the, the time is fulfilled, he says. He says that this time, this time right now, the time in which you are living matters. Saying the time is fulfilled means that you are not living at an insignificant moment. You're not living at a moment in which the unfolding of some grand plan will happen outside of you and you will never know about it. Jesus is saying that the revealing of the grand plan of God is happening right now. The time, he says, is now. Second promise he makes is that the empire of God has come near. Which means that those who are in charge, those who appear to be in charge, are not actually in charge. The powers that be are not the real powers. The good life that those powers have given only to some is not the good life at all. The good life in God, a life of abundance and joy and sweetness, that life has come near and you will taste it. That's the second promise that Jesus makes. The third promise he makes is repent, which will strike many of you as a threat, but it is not a threat, it is a promise. The promise is that you can change. You are not doomed to repeat the mistakes of yesterday again today. Today can be different because you can be different you can change, repent, Jesus says. And the final promise that Jesus makes, trust in the good news. Trust, believe, literally lean the weight of your life into what is good. Lean in the direction of what is good. Trust in the good news. So four promises, right? Four promises Jesus makes to these disciples and also to us. The time is now. God is near. You can change and trust in goodness. So I ask you, what do you think? 
What do you think? Are those promises enough to get you to leave what you know? Were Simon and Andrew and James and John wise? Or were they foolish? I want to finish today by turning a few questions toward you. I want to ask you a few questions of your own call. Do you remember? Do you remember when you decided to follow Jesus? Where were you? Where was your lake shore? Were there others around you who were making the same decision to follow? Were they following for the same reasons as you? What were your reasons for following Jesus? Were you being pushed? Were you running away from a world that treated you as an object? Were you being pulled? Were you being drawn in by the promise of something more beautiful, more just, more true? What did you lose when you decided to follow? What paths were cut off for you? And what did you gain? What did you expect to gain? What have you gained? If you let this story open up your own call story, you might begin to see that calling is not something that happens at a singular moment in our life. We are called, but we are called again and again and again, over and over in our lives. We have many experiences of being called, uh, of dropping our nets and following. The truth about calling is that just as we are called to leave what we know, we are almost always called back again to what, sometimes to where, sometimes to whom we left in the first place. The journey of following Jesus, the journey of discipleship, is not a straight line that goes from point A to point B, but instead it is more of a circular path in which we come back to the place where we began again and again to start over. The call stays the same, but along the way it is us who change. In Mark, uh, we will see uh, again and again and again that these disciples who were so willing to join up with Jesus at the beginning have no clue what it is they are really doing. Over and over again, Jesus will show them things, uh, beautiful things, uh, wondrous kinds of powers. Jesus will show them this honest and holy way of being with each other called love and the disciples will have no idea what Jesus is trying to show them. They will think that Jesus is lying to them. They will think that Jesus has sold them a bill of goods. Uh, they will think that there must be something more to it. They will complain, and they will fail to do what Jesus asks them to do, and they will fall asleep when Jesus asks them simply to stay awake. And in the end... The disciples, all disciples, are confronted 
with the most wondrous of all wonders, a tomb, a tomb that should hold the body of Jesus, but which instead is empty. And as they consider the empty tomb, a disciple of Jesus hears a voice, and that voice says, Jesus has gone ahead of you. Go back to Galilee, and there you will see him. Go back again to where you began, and begin again. And as you begin again, to follow Jesus, Hear the four promises. The time is now. God is near. You can change. Trust in what is good. Let the disciples of Jesus hear these words as good news for you today. Let the church say, Amen.